0: Listening to highlights from One Planet Podcasts' interview with Anantha Juriappa, director of the UNESCO Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Education for Peace and Sustainable Development. I, I always felt that science and evidence has to be the guiding force in the way that we design our programs. Of course, understanding people as humans, people as not just rational human beings. That's another thing that I also learned during my journey is that the whole notion of a rational human being is used as an assumption to make our economic model simple. But we know that we are very irrational human beings. So we have to delve into the world of irrationality. The best way to have an education system is to get some understanding of the way we learn. now. It's like space. It's going to be an endless journey because our brain is so complex. <laughs> it's, the number is billions of neurons and networks. But we do have some good research to help us train our brains to kind of achieve the life that we would like to achieve. And so that's why we use the term education for human flourishing. It's not education to build human capital but human flourishing, and that's very important. Because when we go for flourishing, we want to excel in the things that we enjoy and be passionate about. And when we are passionate and we enjoy, we do really good things. So the whole act of kindness, we found is a necessary condition to achieve the SDGs. Give you an example, poverty, SDG one, to reduce poverty. I think an act of kindness brings in the notion of sustainability into the whole act of reducing poverty, rather than just sort of saying, I'm going to give you some money, and then it ends at that. That's only a momentary effect. But to reduce poverty in a sustainable way such that it never comes back, the fact is I do it because I want to do it. It's a constitutive element of my well-being, my flourishing, that I want to help another not for the sake of myself, but for the other, and trying to understand the other on why they are struggling and to empathize with why they are in the situations that they are in. I don't think anybody likes to be in a state of poverty. There are so many circumstances that force them to be into those situations and to try to understand that and in that process, To do something about it is the act of kindness. And so we thought that that should be a central part of action. So, you know, we didn't want to take a traditional route by just producing these great papers on why kindness, on why empathy. It becomes an intellectual exercise. Reading about empathy or reading about kindness doesn't make you automatically a kind person. You need to do it. It's all about action and agency and change. So the act of kindness is action, It's empathy in action. It's about passion and it's about letting the person explore themselves. That's how I think education uh, should be. It should not be a mechanized, it should be a place to explore, it's a place to have dialogues, it's a place to have discussion. We had this particular style of education If you go back to Aristotle and Socrates, if you go back to the Vedas in India, uh, as well as in China and so forth. But it was only provided for an elite group. Then we moved into the industrial area, and the whole idea was to provide education to the masses. But then what we lost in the process in the whole mechanization of education, we forgot about the dialogic about the debate and so forth, because we felt that we couldn't allow that because we had to educate the masses. But I think we have reached a stage where we actually now can provide this kind of an education, this dialogic, this debate, this inquiry, what I call this inquiry, plus a humanistic approach to education so that we care for each other. It's not about beating the other you see that's what's happened with the mechanization it's about pitting us against each other the whole assessment exercise that we do it has taken a life of its own i don't think those assessments really measure whether we have learned about something it's about memorization and it's about passing an exam to get to the next step rather than sort of saying, have I learned? Have I really understood what this is? What is the relevance of this to society? What is the relevance of this to my life? How can I use this for the betterment of society and so forth and so on? So we have to get back to that. And I think technology is going to support that. The holy grail of education, the individualized learning, I think is in the grasp of our our hands with the advancement of technology and artificial intelligence now many people say oh you've got to be very careful you got to be because there's a lot of problems well everything has is, its issues and and we need to be cognizant of that we need to put into systems that will, uh, will prevent that being abused but this is where I always say you train our young people in social emotional learning which means the whole notion of emotion regulations, empathy to think about the other, compassion, the probability of people becoming predatorial will be minimized already in the first place because the mindset is different. I'm not pitting against each other. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if we have an education system where you are your own benchmark and not somebody else? And one of the things that we don't teach our children, and even myself, I sometimes find myself, is I don't listen. When somebody is talking, I already have made my positions, and then I wait for that person to finish their sentence. And then I'm saying what I wanted to say right from the start, rather than sort of really listening to this person. And then trying to understand this person from their perspective and not from your own perspective. That's not easy at all. And that's a reflexive exercise that I think should be doing continuously. And it becomes second nature of what, you know, that reflexive exercise. And then we talk about compassion. So what can you do about this? You know, in your little way, what can you do? You don't have to change the world, but in your own little way, what could you do? One of the things, that the, the system that we use a play of Einstein's equation, and we use EMC squared. E for empathy, M for mindfulness, C for compassion, and the other C is for critical inquiry. Now, that's the intellectual. And then the other three are emotional. So it's a unique interplay between emotions and intellectual. And that's how the brain really works. It is all about creating neural networks across all the different parts of the brain You know, some of them, of course, where the emotions reside, but the way that we finally decide and think is about the interplay between the two. So I did my uh, doctorate studies in economics, but when I finished all the exams and then you have to find a topic to do your dissertation on, and I still remember vividly sitting and watching PBS channel, I guess, Tom Hansen was testifying before Congress and he, from Goddard Space Center, and he says, we have a problem. And that was climate change. And this was in mid 80s. And then I sort of, it kind of perked my interest. and I said, hmm, so how about looking at climate change and economics? And what would that be? And so that was how my PhD. Now, to do that, I had to learn atmospheric science because I had to build a small climate change model. And then I had to link that model to the economic models. So how do you have variables from climate into the economics? How do you have economic variables into the climate so that it is an integrated system And I think that's something that we also need to start teaching our children is systems analysis because the world is a systems. So that brought me to the whole notion of multidisciplinarity and how important it is that we can't just look at economics as per se, because it's so linked with the natural system. And so that got me interested into climate change And I then went on to Italy in Florence and worked at the European University Institute in terms of working with some of the early climate change economic models. And then went to the the National University of Singapore to develop a course in environmental economics. But I had the privilege and freedom to integrate because... You know, I was teaching two courses, development economics and environmental economics. And when I teach development, there was nothing on environment. And when I teach environment, there was nothing on development. I was like saying, this is crazy because they're so interlinked because development economics, economic growth, that's what drives climate change. You need to bring those things. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.